grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. It is our privilege and responsibility to come together as some of the people of God to worship the living God. We come whether here in person in the campus of the Village Church or online. We come as forgiven sinners. We come as people who check all of our other loyalties and passions and pursuits at the door as we come to this safe place. I mention all of those things because we are not going to talk about 49ers and Chiefs today. <laughs> we leave that outside the door. Fair enough? Fair enough. Friends, let us be called to worship as we read responsively from the 37th Psalm. Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So you will live in the land and enjoy security. Take your life to the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and he will act. He will make your vindication shine like the light and the justice of your cause like the noonday. Friends, let us worship God.
Friends, we have a standard in Jesus. It's not an unattainable standard. It is one that the Holy Spirit guides us towards, but we have to also acknowledge our need for this spirit of truth and that at times we are clumsy and neglectful. So let's come to God in confession together. Holy God, righteous and merciful, cleanse our minds and free our consciences from the things that divide us from you. We have shut our eyes to your glory, our minds to your truth, and our hearts to your spirit. And yet we want to love you, Lord, to offer you true worship and joyful service. Pardon and deliver us from all our sins. And since all your paths are loving and sure, guide us in the way we should go and lead us to life everlasting. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Gentle God, hear us now as we lift up our prayers of confession to you in this moment of silence. Amen. Friends, according to scripture, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things in heaven and earth were created, things visible and invisible. It is in the name of this Jesus that I declare to you, we are forgiven, thanks be to God. May the peace of Christ be with you. And also Please greet each other with a good morning and God bless.
Thank you, kids. That was lovely. At this time, at this time, we would invite all of those uh, fifth grade and younger to join their Sunday school leaders at the back. And if you're older than that, you can go join the, the youth folks in the youth room, the junior and senior high kids. And if I see any of you sneaking out who do not fit that category, <laughs> you'll have to deal with me later. No. <laughs> Friends, let me just mention a few things coming up in the life of the church. We want to be sure that everybody is aware so that everybody can participate as you choose. This coming Wednesday, February 14, is Ash Wednesday, the beginning of the season of Lent, that period of spiritual preparation for the celebration of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus at Easter, which is March 31st this year. This Wednesday at 7 o'clock, we will be here in the sanctuary for a beautiful reflective service of repentance, confession, assurance of forgiveness, and then celebration of the new life that God offers. We recognize that that day also is a celebration of Saint Valentine, uh, the patron saint of love, uh, but what better way to celebrate the love of God than to be here to present yourself before Him for repentance and confession and renewal. So we hope to see you at 7 o'clock. We are still trying to decide, by the way, in the ritual where we invite you to come forward to have a Latin cross inscribed on your forehead with ashes. We're still trying to decide if we use that traditional sign this year or if we use a heart. <laughs> so pray about that for us with you. Yes, I already have people voting for the cross. Okay. <laughs> Actually, let's take a poll right now. Let's just take a poll, all right? If you're in favor of the cross, go like this. No, 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 like this. Don't raise your hand. Go like this. All right, if you're in favor of the heart, go like this. Okay, uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> As Lent begins, of course, we also will begin sending to you our Lenten devotional, much of which is written by our own church members. And thank you to all those of you who submitted a devotional for this year. If you would like a printed copy of that devotional, let us know in the office and we'd be happy to provide one for you. By the law of the Presbyterian Church, we have one official meeting at least once a year, and that is the 25th of February this year, just a couple of Sundays from now. We will, at the end of this service, have another very brief official meeting, so I want to make you aware that that is happening, and if you'd like to be part of that experience, be sure you're here uh, for that worship service. Also, on the 25th, our youth will begin collecting a special offering to help finance their trip to the Dominican Republic this coming summer. You're going to hear more about that in the next couple of weeks, but just want to make you aware, we're thrilled that we have a group going to the Dominican Republic to see what God is doing there and to uh, participate in some of that, so prepare for that special offering. The following Sunday, March 3rd, will be our next new member seminar. That is for those who already know that you want to join and would like to know more about us, and for those who would like to learn more about us before you decide whether you'd like to join or not. If you want to be part of that experience, and especially if you want us to have lunch ready for you, talk with Jan Cook about that. So, these are some of the things going on, but as always, the most important thing right now is that we are present to the living God and that we worship Him 
It is an act of worship then as the ushers come forward to wait upon us, an act of worship when we present our financial tithes and offerings to God as a symbol of presenting ourselves before God who has given all to us already. Will the ushers please come forward? Oh, uh-huh. 
please be seated. Malachi. <laughs> Sometimes there are moments when people bring their greatest gift, and it's so beautiful, it transcends even emotion. It's what you did for us this morning. Thank you. God is here. God is present. God loves us. That's enough for us to be present to God. Let's go to God in prayer. Holy assurance, you whose warming hands without fail bring the morning after every single night. You who without fail cool the day in the shade of twilight and bring rest for the world with the starlit darkness, we thank you and praise you for the delight of work and play and rest. You, O oh God, our creator and Lord of the sacred rhythm of life, all things are put into motion by your invisible hand. Our understanding of your intentions is shaped by your willed constancy of the earthly movement from season to season. And God, you never cease to inspire us by the displays of birth and rebirth and rest and resurrection and renewal and restoration with each passing day and each falling leaf, budding rose and peeping hatchling. We are reminded of your desire for our future. You, Lord, are the wellspring of all our hope. You faithfully abide as the center of our souls, and it is your reflection that we see in our bound kinship with all things created. And, Lord, we long for this miracle of your creation to live into the promise of who and what we know can be. You have created us to be your beloved kingdom, rich in compassion and abundant in forgiveness and generous in service. You have called us to be witnesses of your extravagant love so that we can extravagantly share all that you have provided. And Lord, we know our calling. We have heard you. We have listened, but we cannot answer without your help. Lord, we need your help even to say yes. And we come to you humbly without shame for your guidance and your wisdom and your compulsion. We ask that your spirit provide us with the needed courage to step forward and not shrink back, to be bold and outrageous in our ministry of witness for you. Yes, Lord, we pray for a hurting and broken world at all times. But we ask that we be living prayers more than spoken. Let our lives be lived on behalf of the least of these so that we understand that with every can of soup provided, with every blanket shared, with every eye contact with the dirty and disheveled maid, that we are not only faithfully ministering in your name, but we are faithfully ministering to you. We pray all of these things with such a deep yearning to do your will. And we pray them in the name of your son, 
who taught us when praying to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. But recall those earlier days when, after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and persecution, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion for those who were in prison, and you cheerfully accepted the plundering of your possessions, knowing that you yourselves possessed something better and more lasting. Do not therefore abandon that confidence of yours. It brings a great reward, for you need endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, the one who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. My soul takes no pleasure in anyone who shrinks back. But we are not among those who shrink back and so are lost. But among those who have faith and so are saved, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible, the word of the Lord. I'd invite you right now to create a mental image, a picture in your mind, if you will, of a house sliding down a hill. That kind of image, of course, has been in the news of late, showing us the houses of some of our neighbors in the greater San Diego area and then extending out into California. And of course, that's not a new image. And for some of us, it may be a very painful image as we might remember when our own houses started sliding down a hill. It's a familiar image because we see it so often these days with all of the flooding that's been going on. And it's an image that not only helps us think with compassion for those who suffer the loss of their homes, but it's also a picture, I think, that can help us move into areas of life or truths about life that are less easy to picture, if you will. This last week in my own household, as we were sitting there watching the news and listening to house owners talk about their own homes starting to slide down the hill, a, a conversation got started, and the conversation was about how can you keep a house from sliding down a hill? 
once the dirt has become so saturated with water, it becomes a river of mud, and there's not much you can do to keep the house up. What actually could you do with that? What could you do about that? There are several answers, actually. And the easiest answer is don't build your house on a hill. <laughs> right? There's a parable about that. Build on the rock instead of the sand. Well, that's, of course, all too glib and all too easy an answer when maybe the only place you can build your house is on a hill. Or when you want to take that little bit of risk of building a house on a hill so that you can have a better view, perhaps. But that's the easiest answer. Don't build your house on a hill. If you do build your house on a hill, what can you do? Well, there's another answer to that question, and that is make sure that you build with a great foundation, right? A great foundation, something that's not going to give way when the floods come. And then that leads to a conversation about foundations. How do you actually build a great foundation? Well, the way that you build a great foundation is to dig down through the dirt until you find what? Bedrock. Bedrock. You build on bedrock. You take Jesus' advice, build on rock instead of sand. But there's a problem there too. I'm not in a pessimistic mood, but I am going to be very pessimistic at the moment, right? What happens if you build on bedrock? Well, in California, we know that sometimes even the rocks can begin to rock and roll. And then what hope do we have? Well, I could point you to some of the Psalms that talk about the fact that even though the very foundations of the earth will shake, we have one who is with us and for us, who cannot be shaken. At any rate, I've been thinking about houses sliding down the hills and all the different ways that you might build them to ameliorate the problem of too much rain, and that has taken me to thinking about what I have been thinking about and you have been thinking about if you have been awake during our sermons these last few weeks, thinking about the pillars of life. I'm not a building engineer, but I believe that when you start to build something and build a foundation, if you have pretty shaky ground, you dig deep down and you build what are called pillars, the pillars that go all the way through the ground down to the bedrock, the pillars on which you then build the rest of the building. And we have been talking about pillars of life. What are the things that are part of life, especially Christian life, that serve as the foundation pillars that take us all the way to the bedrock? We have spoken about five things, and today we're going to speak about the sixth, and in this current list, the last thing. We've spoken about love, service, hope, humility, and truth. Now, truth be told, there are some other things that you could add to that list, I'm sure. But those five at least seem to be crucial to me as we think about the big things, the strongest things that hold everything else up. 
Today I want to talk about what I initially thought of as the sixth pillar, faith. But the more I've thought about it, it has occurred to me that faith is more than just one of the pillars. Faith, I would propose to you, is the bedrock upon which all the other pillars are built. And so let's think about that. Let's think about that as we consider for a few moments the words that were read for us a moment ago from the book of the Hebrews. The book of the Hebrews sometimes is called the letter to the Hebrews, and it probably was written as a letter, but not a specific letter to a specific place. There are many of the books in the New Testament that are actual letters written to specific people. The letter to the church in Ephesus or Corinth or Rome. The letter to the Hebrews is more of what we would call a circular letter, written not with one particular church in mind, but with the whole church in mind. Probably, we don't know, and we never will know, I don't think, but probably this letter was written by one of the earliest Christians who himself had been a Jew, still was a Jew, but now was a Jew who believed in Jesus as the Messiah. This writer of this letter has a very, very keen understanding of and appreciation for the Scriptures of the Hebrew people, what you and I now call the Old Testament. It's a letter that probably was written 10, 20, 30, maybe even 40 or 50 years after Jesus was gone because obviously this writer and the audience to whom is being written, they all had some experience now of what life was like once you decided to believe in and to follow Jesus. We need to be clear about this, even though some would teach us otherwise. Some would teach us that once you decide to follow Jesus, everything is roses. Everything is easy. Everything simply unfolds before you. But the first followers of Jesus and actual true followers of Jesus discovered that once they believe in Jesus and once they trust Jesus, then you have to start living like Jesus, and once you start living like Jesus, life is not necessarily easy. That's what actually happened with many of the first followers of Jesus. They believed in Jesus, they believed Jesus, and so they started living differently. Because they had faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, They could no longer fall in line with everybody else and say that Caesar was God. That began to create problems. They could no longer live life as if life was all about them. They had to live life with concern for other people, and that began to create problems. There were many things that changed in the actual lives of the first Christians that got them into trouble because they were not going with the flow. They were going against the flow. And so these first Christians, many of them, found themselves being persecuted. Now, what did that persecution look like? 
our minds perhaps automatically go to the Colosseum in Rome where the most uh, flagrant and blatant persecution was carried out as Christians were taken into the Colosseum and uh, fed to the lions or burned on a cross or whatever. There are all kinds of other forms of persecution, other forms that were much more common. Once you started to say, you know, I don't believe that Caesar is God, and I believe we need to take care of the poor and the dispossessed and the lonely and the foreigners. Once you started to say that and actually do something about that, your friends started to not invite you to their parties anymore. And your business associates started to find other people with whom they wanted to do business. Sometimes these issues were so serious that people would be beaten. They would, of course, be socially ostracized. Sometimes they'd be put into jail. All of those things are touched on here in the letter to the Hebrews as the writer reminds the people who follow Jesus that they have been suffering not just because of what they say they believe, but because of what they do because they believe. That's true in our world today, right? You can sit there and say, I believe the world was created by little green men. And people might look at you a little bit strange, but they say, okay, go ahead and believe whatever you want to believe. We're not talking about just what you said with your mind. We're talking about what you did with your life. And so, the people to whom this letter is written have been suffering because of their changed lives based on their changed beliefs. And the writer to the letter is therefore then encouraging these Christians. He's reminding them that they actually believe in the one true God and that as they hold fast to their faith, that the one true God will honor that faith and indeed they will persevere to the end. The writer quotes from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. That's actually one of my favorite books in the Old Testament, not only because it's short and you could read it pretty quickly, <laughs> but because I just like that name, Habakkuk. Has anybody here named their child Habakkuk? <laughs> No, I, I, somebody should. I never did, right? What, what would be the nickname of a child named Habakkuk? Habby? Baka? Oh, well, well, could be. <laughs> Let's think about that for a minute, right? <laughs> Anyhow, in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk was written uh, by the prophet Habakkuk during the Old Testament period when Israel was being uh, attacked by the Syrians and the Assyrians and all the other empires. And, and Habakkuk really was written kind of out of the same context that Hebrews was written in, a time when people were being attacked because of their belief, because of their actions. And, and Habakkuk wrote this one little phrase, and I doubt that Habakkuk knew just how important it would become in Christian history. I hope he did, but I doubt that he did. He wrote this as a message from God, the righteous live by faith. The righteous live by faith. Those who are right, those who live rightly, those who are right with God, live by our faith 
an important clue for us as life is wobbling underneath you and rivers of mud start to wash everything away. We live by faith. The book of Hebrews really is about faith. It talks about what faith is and what faith does. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is about something that isn't there yet. Faith is about something that isn't there, at least not readily and apparently so. Faith is about what's going to happen but hasn't happened yet. Now, I know there are lots of faithful in this room who believe that a few hours from now, your team is going to be victorious. I might get in trouble here, but let me just say that I don't care how much faith you have, you might be wrong. Half of us will be right and half will be wrong. But faith, faith in God is about what will happen. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. I can say to you, you know, folks, I have big news for you today. I have big news. There's a baptismal font sitting right here. And you'll say, well, of course there is. It's sitting right there. We can see it. We can touch it. It's there. But if I were to say, folks, I have big news for you today. I want to introduce you to my friend Harvey. He's a rabbit. He's a big rabbit. He's standing right here. Do you believe me? Who said yes? God bless you, my children. We can't see Harvey. Maybe you can't. I can. Oh, can I? The conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. What is faith? Faith is about what has not yet happened, what cannot be seen. Faith is about something that is outside of our world. It's outside of our world. And so the writer to the Hebrews begins to help us understand from where this kind of faith comes. And there's a long description in the rest of the book, but we don't have time to read it all this morning. We simply read one phrase, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Here is where faith begins. Faith begins when we think about what there was before the beginning. Let me say that again. Think about that. Faith begins when we think about things that were before the beginning. What was before the beginning? There are several ways to answer that question. 
Let's be honest about that. You can say, well, things just always have been. That's a faith statement in itself, isn't it? Things always have been. The entire universe as we know it, and it's getting bigger and bigger by the day as we discover more and more of it, the entire universe has just always been here. Okay, why? I don't know. Because. Just because. Well, okay, that's also a faith statement. The fact is, is that most people through most of history have understood that that there was something before the beginning. There will be something after the end. There is something that is bigger than everything else, that is beyond everything else, and we say that is God. All faith begins with the decision that we make and a decision that God helps us with about God himself. Faith is about God. It is about what we believe to be the most true thing. Faith is about fundamental reality. Faith is not about everything that we can see and everything that we already know. Faith is about what we cannot see but can only sense. Faith is about what we cannot know except with the eyes of faith. Faith is about when you strip everything else away. It's about what's left underneath. The book of Hebrews proclaims, all the books of the Bible proclaim, all the theology of the church proclaims, all the music of the church proclaims that God is the most true thing. God is the fundamental reality. God is that which remains when everything else is stripped away because God was there from the very beginning. Before there was anything visible, there was God. Before there was anything, there was God. Therefore, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. If God was there before the beginning, this God is eternal, timeless. God will be there at the very end. That's why we have hope for the future. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. How is it that we creatures who can comprehend and apprehend the physical world can presume that there is something beyond the physical world? That idea has been built into us, hasn't it? The idea of eternity has been given to we who are not eternal. The idea of something that is not physical, that is beyond all physical, has been given to we who are bound by the physical. Now, let's note that you can actually choose to have faith in lots of things. And in a sense, we all have faith in lots of things. There are uh, sort of subsidiary or secondary levels of faith, and then there's a primary level of faith. That subsidiary or secondary level has to do with what generally works out for us, right? For instance, on Sunday morning when I wake up, even though sometimes I worry about this, I have faith that the choir's going to be here and that the ushers are going to be here and that the organ's going to work or if the organ doesn't work, then the piano will work and if the piano doesn't work, then our voices will work. I have faith that all kinds of stuff is going to go on, but you know what? It won't necessarily always be that way. 
We have faith in each other to a certain extent, but let's be honest, we sometimes fail. We let each other down. And so that's a subsidiary kind of faith. The primary faith is in what does not let us down. And again, you don't have to believe in God. You can decide to have faith in yourself. I'm the only one I can trust. Well, let me assure you, you cannot trust yourself. You can choose to have faith in things, faith in trees, crystals, aliens, money, government, politicians. There are all kinds of things that you can put your faith in, but they are things of the created order. They are not the creator. Christian faith is faith in God, and not just any God, but the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God whom we know as Father, Son, and Spirit, the God whom Jesus called Abba, Father, the God whom we believe is revealed supremely in Jesus himself. When we think about faith, we have to admit that there is a decision tree involved. Y'all know what a decision tree is? If this is true, then we do this. If this is not true, then we do that. For instance, my favorite decision tree is an engineering decision tree. Okay, hang with me on this. An engineering decision tree. Does it move? No. Should it move? No. Great. No problem. However, you change one decision. Does it move? No. Should it move? Yes. What's the solution? WD-40. <laughs> All right? Think about that. Here's another. The other half of that decision tree goes like this. Does it move? Yes. Should it move? Yes. Great. No problem. But does it move? Yes. Should it move? No. What's the solution? Duct tape. <laughs> I probably should just end the sermon right here. No. <laughs> There's a decision tree when it comes to the business of faith. Is there a God? Yes. Is this the God whom we know as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our forebears, the God that we know as Father, Son, and the Spirit, the God whom we know in Jesus Christ? Yes. Then what do we do? If we have faith in this God in this way, then... We live life on these terms. That's where it gets interesting. If he's God, if God has this character, this personality, this design, this will for his creation, what do we do with that? That's our faith upon which we build all the other pillars, pillars that God gets to build, pillars that God gets to define, love, service, hope, humility, truth. You can add to that list. I would encourage you to add to that list, but be sure that whatever you add 
is there in the Scriptures and is there in the life of Jesus Christ. We can, and you and I have to admit, we're human beings, we're not perfect. Sometimes we build other pillars because our faith is not perfect. Sometimes we build life on hate instead of love. Hate that reveals our fear and our selfishness and our worship of power. Sometimes we build on pillars of selfishness that reveal that our God is all about satisfying our appetites and caring less about someone else's needs. Sometimes we build on a pillar of despair instead of hope, which says that God is powerless or that God doesn't care or that God is actually evil. Sometimes we build on pillars of pride instead of humility, which reveal maybe the worst and deepest truth about us is that we believe we're God and we won't let God be God. Sometimes we build on pillars of lies because we're too afraid to admit the truth or we want to use untruths to exercise power and control over others. The simple fact is, friends, that if we do not live a certain way, the way revealed to us supremely in Jesus Christ, then we reveal that we believe not in God, that our faith is not in God, but in something else. And so the process of life is a process of learning a process of trying and sometimes failing and then continuing to try, a process of asking God to open our eyes to where the facts of our life belie the fact of whom we truly trust, a process in which we grow continually in learning about who is the bedrock of everything Therefore, who is the one that defines the terms by which we will have a successful life? There's an awful lot more to say about this. We can never say everything that there is to say about faith. So let me leave you with just this one question. If you say you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, are you proving it? to yourself by how you live. Amen. And so what does this bedstone look like? People of God, let's stand together and affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, 
the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I'll admit to you that this business of faith seems sometimes too complex to comprehend, but fear not. God has given us a way to understand all things that is unmistakable. Later on in writing his letter, the anonymous author said, let us look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. If you want to see and understand how a life of faith in the one true God is lived, we need look only to Jesus. We need look always.
to Jesus. In the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, give us Jesus. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us today and always. Let God's people say together, Amen. Amen.